Amen. And good morning. Morning. Can I extend that welcome again to Cornerstone Church at Liverpool and also extend that happy new year and uh, prayers for 2023. I'm excited to see what God does in and, in and through us. If you're new or visiting again, real warm welcome. You've actually joined us as we're partway through a series that we started in the autumn term. We're jumping straight back into it. So if you want to open your Bibles up in Nehemiah chapter 8, that's where we're going to be today. The verses will be on the screen, but it's really helpful to have those verses in front of you, to be able to read them, to see them, um, to have God's Word in our hand is a, is, a, is a good thing for us too. Let me just get us up to speed. So, so the setting is, it's five, five centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ came, and God's people, Israel, they've been taken from where they live into exile in Persia by this conquering army. And what's happened is a small group of them, small group of people have actually returned back to Jerusalem. And they've been led by a guy called Nehemiah. And the people are quite weak and they're quite vulnerable, but they managed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem through a lot of opposition. And so you've got this new community, this new kind of people that's gathered under the sound of God's word today. So let's, let's, let's read and hear what, what happens. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah on his right hand. And Pediah, Mishael, Malkijar, Hashem, Hashbedanah, Zachariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book of all the people. He was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book from the Lord of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Your word is such a gift towards us. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand your word. And Father, thank you that you are here amongst us today, ministering to us, helping us, guiding us through what we are doing today. Father, we thank you so much that you are present. And help us, I pray this morning, by your spirit to to understand the words that you have here for us. Not just to understand them, Father, but would you place these words deep down into the depths of our soul so that we can respond with everything that we have this morning. Amen. Okay, so first of all, what we're going to see is the importance of God's word. There's, there's a real buzz around Jerusalem. So the people, what they've done, they've, they've managed to build the wall. They know that God had helped them. They're, they're a weak, vulnerable people. They're aware of what's going on. They're aware of God's help. And there must have been at this point a, a real sense of community, a real sense of, of purpose, a real sense of direction. This is a, a people who felt and knew 
they were part of something bigger than themselves. And in verse 2, what we see is this is the first day of the seventh month. It's the festival of trumpets in the Jewish calendar. And what would have happened? There would have been a blast from a, a shofar, like a big trumpet blast, sounding out all around Jerusalem and all around um, the land of, of Judah. And people will have gathered in that large square before the water, the water gate. And all the people, they would have come from, from all around the city and from the, the neighboring countryside. They would have been young, old, married, children, all together, surrounded by these walls that they had built. And the people, they, they tell Ezra, bring out God's word, the scroll to read from. And they, they've obviously had God's word in Deuteronomy 31. It actually tells them that every seven years, God's people are to assemble. And all of God's people to assemble and, the, and they're to read from God's word. Why? So they can hear so that they can fear God and they can learn how, what it means to live as a child of God. And to make it happen, they would have had to have built a large platform. We know it was large because if you read the passage, it's really substantial because 14 men actually stood on it. And you've got this really powerful scene. So Ezra, he's the, the leader here. He goes, he goes up, the leader of the group, carrying the law of God. And as he ascends the platforms and makes, make platform and makes his way up, it's high enough so the whole crowd could see and hear him. And you can kind of imagine this hush that would have settled all across God's people as they step up and they take the place. Six make their way to the right of him. Seven make their way to the left. And he opens up the scroll. And then all the people, they stand in unison. Man, woman, old, young. See, this is a Jewish way that they would have displayed reverence for God's word through physical action. And the passage here describes a few ways that they, they would have done this. In verse 5 and 6, it tells us that, that as, it was, as the, the scroll was open, they stand. Ezra then praises God. So he praises God with his mouth, and the people actually respond with their mouths that are audible words in response. Amen, amen, so be it, be it true. They're assenting to the truth to saying, that's true, we agree with you. What you say is right about God. And their hands are lifted up, which is a sign of their praise and of their, their worship, their worshipful need for God. It's also a sign of their submission to God's authority. And then they bow their heads, they, they bow their faces to the ground. See, these are all physical responses that, that help God's people worship. Yes, themselves, but also those people around will have seen others doing it. It would have encouraged them. They display their unity and their submission and their worship and their assenting to the truth of God's word. And then Ezra, he begins to read. And he reads, we're told, from early morning all the way through to midday. That would have been about six hours. Six hours. Possibly the other men on the platform were there to help him. We don't know, but my guess would be so. And he's reading from the book of the Lord of Moses, the Pentateuch. So that's the, the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the story of God's people. The story of their redemption, the story of who they were, how they were formed, how they understood themselves, how they understood who God was and their relationship with him. And he couldn't read all the Pentateuch in six hours. It would take longer than that. So what he probably did, he probably read it in select parts. And as he reads sections over the people, the Levites, the, the priests, whose job it was to explain God's word. They would be moving around, it seems, amongst these groups of people, amongst groups of God's people. And they were helping God's people understand. Maybe putting some of it into to Aramaic so they could make, make sense of it. They were clarifying what they heard. They were trying to make it as clear as possible to the people in front of them. All, the whole demographic of God's people. 
They were given sense. They're explaining what God's word is saying. They're showing what it means for the people of Nehemiah's time so that they too could understand themselves, make sense of it, live it out, learn what it means to be faithful and obedient. And then we see the power of God's word, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So that the people, they start to, to weep, not like a, a, a good British solitary tear that just rolls down the cheek, but a, a wailing. A real wailing was rising up from God's people. On one level, this is like, it's a positive response. It's a display of repentance and awareness of of just how far away they are from God and his standard. They're aware of how much they as a people, they've rebelled and how much they've sinned against God. But it's also not the fullest response. It's not what they're called to here. See, as you read all of God's word, you see that God sets up a sacrificial system as a means for those who were repentant to be in right, joyful relationship with him. And either they'd missed that or the Levites hadn't quite got there yet. But Nehemiah, who's with with Ezra and the priest, he stands up and he says, no, 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 don't weep. Now is not the time to weep. This is a holy day. This is a festival day. God has provided for us. God has protected us. God is faithful to us. God is with us. That's why this day is holy, because it's a festival given by God himself. And God's people are gathered under God's word, having God's presence amongst them. Nehemiah is saying, let's celebrate. God's with us. God loves us. We're his people. Look, it's harvest time. Eat the good food. Drink the good drinks. It is provided. Let's gather together to celebrate the goodness, the provision, the protection of God. And let's be thankful. And he reminds the people of of not just the joy, but he reminds them of the power of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, he says. Weeping, despair, grief, guilt, depression, shame. These things drain you. They, they leave you exhausted deep within you. They leave you unable to, to fight. And so we pull, we isolate, we can distance ourselves. But the joy of the Lord is strengthening. The joy of the Lord is enabling, empowering. It is uniting. We have joy as God's people because we have relationship with God, our creator. That's the reason for our joy. Joy flows from our fellowship with God. And it's joy from God that strengthens weary, tired, and needy souls. This that we are reading about is a joyful community because of God's presence and God's work amongst them. And joy is contagious amongst God's people. And it changes them. 
See, what happens is joy is not kind of stationary in that sense. It seems to flow out. It pours out into relationships with the people around them. It, it builds and unites people together. It forms bonds. And it creates this God-filled, God-fueled, joy-fueled generosity, generosity that people are just to share with what they have. So the whole community could celebrate together. Why? Just look at verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They're joy-filled. They are strengthened. They are generous. They are just rejoicing and it's flowing out. Their lives are being transformed. Why? Because they understood God's word. It's as simple as that. They understood God's word. God's word rightly explained showing what God has done, is doing, and will do for them, changes them. And then we see something else. On the second day, God gives them a further means to keep them joyful. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses, of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem go out to the hills bring branches of olive wild olive myrtle palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves each on his roof and in their courts, and in the court of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the Lord of God, they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So this is now the second day, the day after the day before. Many of the people will have gone home, either to the homes in Jerusalem or to the surrounding areas if they lived outside because it was the time of harvest. They were busy working on, on the farms. But the leaders have been a bit spurred on by what happened the day before. They're spurred on by their time in God's word. It's left them hungry for more and desiring to actually go deeper in. A right desire to, to lead God's people by God's word. And as they plunge into God's word, study it further, they realize that it's the festival of booths during the seventh month. So what's that? In the book of Exodus that we have just made our, our way through as a church, we read that God brought his people out from slavery in Egypt. And they crossed the Red Sea on their way to the promised land. <clears throat> but what this was, this was a nation. They were moving from a place of captivity through the desert. They were a people with no homes. So what they did, they stayed in temporary homes. They stayed in booths, temporary shelters in the wilderness. And God provided for them. So God saved them and God provided for them. So as a way to remember this, God told them to celebrate the festival of booze. And what they were to do, they were to live in temporary shelters for seven days. That they were to build these shelters exactly where they were, in towns and, and villages and the city and the countryside, around their homes, in their hills. 
even public ones as we read here, in squares and in courtyards, to help them remember. They'd be made out of branches and trees and the materials that they would have around them. And everyone, all of God's people, would be moving out of their houses into these booths for this period of time. And we look at that and we're like, what's going on there? This is really good for them. God knows it's good for them. See, the problem for God's people then and now is when we forget all of this. Is when we forget who God is. The problem for God's people came when they forgot who they were, their history, where they were from, where they were going. And God, knowing this, knowing the inclination that the human heart can be drawn towards, graciously gives them a way to remember. He gives them a means of understanding and growing in his grace. So it's a, a by that I mean like a, a physical, spiritual means of remembering the grace and provision of God. So that people can make sense of the world. Be reminded of God's work in their lives, their history, in the present, in the future. And you just got to imagine this as Israel, this experience. Just put a, a, the slide on for us, please, Ian, if you could. This is just some modern way, day ones, just to give us a picture and understanding of what's going on here. Okay, there's going to be three on there. So this is just some idea of the things that they were building and putting together. Okay, so there's just some idea of what this is. You've got to imagine and put yourself back in time into the place of an Israelite at this moment. I mean, they still do now, but put yourself back in time. Imagine that worshipful process that goes into making the booths. Together doing it as a family and as extended families and as a community. Imagine all the planning and the, that goes into it, the preparing for it, the gathering of things, the building of it together, the excitement and the build-up as you walk towards it, the prayers that would have been offered, the, act, the very act itself of living in it, so alien to them of moving out of their, their home into this place, sleeping outside, eating in these booths that they have made. They would be telling the story of redemption. They would be retelling the story of redemption, the story which is a story of how God had acted in Israel's past, and it was now their story. They're saying, this is who we are. A way, a way and a means for them to remember who they were as a people, to remember God's promises, God's love, God's great acts of mercy and grace and power towards them, to remember God's provision and his goodness and God's protection of them. It's literally there around them. They're being reminded constantly. It's a whole experience. And it's not just that, because I think we think on an isolated level. Imagine also at this time, looking around, all around them and seeing the other people, the people of God expressing the same joy, going about the same process. People that you know, people that you love, seeing them doing it, hearing them tell the story, seeing them gather together to, to, to walk this way, praying for them, sharing with them. Imagine going down to the squares in the public places, experiencing these big celebrations, these big festivals where there's going to be music and singers and shouts of praise and God's word is being read and explained. <coughs> the fruits of the harvest that are abundantly shared. What a picture. What a picture. God's leaders faithfully proclaim. God's people joyfully are obedient and there is great rejoicing. And that's how this chapter ends. God's people reverently rejoicing for days, followed by a reverent solemn assembly on the eighth day. God's people, under God's word, being formed 
and transformed in obedience. So what about us? How does this have any relevance to us? Seems so alien in many ways, doesn't it? But God's people here in Nehemiah, they're growing in their relationship with God. That's what's happening. They're growing in their relationship and understanding of who God is and who they are. And we see the fruit of this all through this chapter. We see from a big, a big picture place, we see joy and strength and generosity and obedience. That's the outworkings of it. But what we see is, well, they're doing it through the means that God has given them. God graciously give them, gives them means to keep them safe spiritually. And so what we see is in verse 1, they gather as a community. Verse 2, they're reading from God's word. They're, they're seeking to rightly understand God's word, verse 7 to 8. They are responding to God's word in verse 5 to 6, verbally and physically encouraging each other. In verse 9, there's grief and repentance. Verse 10, there's joy and strength. Verse 12, there's celebration and praising and rejoicing and giving and sharing and generosity. We see the leaders leading by God's word in verse 13. They're helping God's people understand what this means. We're seeing people being obedient and engaging in the, the acts to unite God's people, to help them to remember their story, to cause that spiritual growth. In verse 16, and we see great rejoicing in verse 17. There's music and, and singing and reading and praise. God doesn't leave us alone in our walk. He doesn't. He gives us graciously the, the means of grace to grow in our faith. To understand that, we need to understand grace. Grace is not a thing primarily. Okay? It's not an abstract concept. Biblically, it has a face. Grace has a face. That works, doesn't it? Biblically, as a face, it's a person, our Lord Jesus Christ, and all that comes with him in relationship with him. See, your relationship with God and all the blessings that flow from God are only found in Jesus Christ. So our longings for, for purpose, for meaning, to understand who we are, what's going on, our, our thirst for satisfaction and fulfillment, they can only be quenched in Jesus Christ. It's interesting as you look around this time, a ritual started. So, so the Jews at this festival, what they had, would start to do around this time, they would go and take a golden flagon and they would go to the, 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 the pool of Siloam and they'd fill it. So it's a pool in Jerusalem. And then what they'd do is they'd carry this golden flagon to the water gate where the people are reading from God's word today. And they would pour out this water, as it was called a water libation, it's a water offering to God. And what they're doing is they pour out this water often and is they're praying, praying for the harvest, they're praying for rain for the coming year. And all that comes from that, that water of life, that's what they're praying for. And then we read John's gospel when Jesus comes along and he's in Jerusalem at the time of this feast. And as the people are celebrating the festival of booze and on this day, on the last day of the feast, when they're doing this and pouring out that water offering, the water of life and all that they depend on, as that ritual is happening and people are praying for life-giving water, Jesus stands up and he proclaims, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In Jesus Christ, we find our thirst quench. He gives living water because he is the living water and he pours out his spirit for us. He is the bread of life. He is the word of life. You see, God's, God's son came and he tabernacled. He boothed amongst us, amongst us. He lived amongst us. He became flesh. The perfect one in the broken booth of a human body. 
He lived among us. He died for us. And he rose again, pouring out his Holy Spirit. Rivers of, rivers of living water poured into the heart of every believer in our relationship to God. See, as believers, growing in our faith means growing in our relationship with God. There's nothing outside of that that will make sense or satisfy nothing. It means to grow in the grace, the knowledge, and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. To grow in our faith means to know him, to, to search the infinite depths of his character. Where? In the word of God. That's where we find God revealing himself to us in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the means of grace by that God's appointed means, his methods, his ways that he gives us. How the Holy Spirit enables us, believers, to receive Jesus Christ and the benefits, all the benefits of, of who Christ is and what he has done and what he is doing now and what he is going to do. We receive them in by the Holy Spirit through these means of grace. What are those means of grace? Firstly, the gathering of God's people under the proclamation of God's word. It's what's happening in Nehemiah. It's what's happening here right today. You are engaging in it right now, here and now. This building is set up for this purpose. I mean, just look at where we are here. See this, this the, the, the pulpit here, that was set up in an age where there wasn't microphones. So we're down here now with our microphones. It's set up why? because the word of God is central. It's to be seen and heard and in submission towards. This is round, so it's not just straight, it's round. Why? So we're a community. So people over here, you can see each other. We're together. It's all facing into this thing, the word of God. We've got the sacraments, the baptistry pool that we have. We have it here. We've got these things along the side will have been things for the, the bread and the communion. We have it here. It's all central. We're moving towards it. What do we do here on a Sunday morning when we gather as God's people? We hear the words of life about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're hearing. We tell, we retell the story of redemption. That flows into all of our service. Flows into the songs that we choose, the prayers that we say, the way that we construct the whole thing, the passages that we preach on, the communion that we take. We tell and we retell the story of redemption, which is our story. The story of God's people, as we read it here, is our story. Exodus, Nehemiah, they all point and flow towards the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament leads us to Jesus. It shows us Jesus. And the New Testament shows us, opens up and says, look, here he is. It helps us to understand what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. And so what we do, if you don't know what we do and you're here new, we take portions of Scripture. We've just worked through Exodus. We're, we're now working through Nehemiah. This year we'll work through all the books of the Bible. We want to hear God lead his, God leads his people by his word. And so we work our way through books of the Bible and we take them a portion at a time. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we give the sense. Or we try to give the sense. We reflect on how this is relevant to us. We don't make it relevant. We open it up and show how it's relevant. God's word is relevant to us here and now today. And we reflect on, on how we are to be obedient and faithful, living this out together. That's what we do. And the Holy Spirit takes these words and he transforms our hearts with them. And we pray together. We sing together truths about God. What a blessing it is to sing together. I hope you realize what a blessing it is and how good it is for our hearts to do this. 
truths about God's song emotionally, rightly emotionally, and we can respond physically. We can respond with our hands. We can respond with our body postures. I have to say, folks, it helps me. It really does help me. Sometimes I, I, I'll, be, I'll be singing with my hands palm up. No, sometimes I can be struggling. I'm struggling in my head to engage in songs, and what I'm doing is I'm, no, I'm here. These are the words, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm singing them, I'm receiving them as well. And I'm asking God that, that God would help me to sing these with everything that I have as I receive blessings as I hear God's people singing these blessings as well I have my hands out to receive them sometimes I have my palms down because I want to show my submission and it's good for my heart to show that sometimes my it's like that's incredible the song we just sang who I am you tell me who I am in my father's house there are many rooms some of that, that you listen to that song you're like, that's right help me to believe this Lord help me to believe this Lord praise you it helps me spiritually too to see others. Not just singing, but singing with a passion on their faith. Singing like they mean it. Singing with their bodies, showing what it is that their mouths are actually saying. With expressions that show our kids are going to come in in a minute. What are they going to see when we sing? Are they going to see the adults around them? Singing in the way that God calls us to sing, praising in the way that God calls us to praise. Folks, it helps me. I sometimes turn around during the singing and see, and, I, and I, my eyes catch other people, and I see them worshiping. Sometimes they could be worshiping with their hands up, they might not be just singing with what they, they have, and I just look and I think, wow, that is so encouraging to me. See, Sam Wingfield with his hands up with a broken collarbone. Well done, Sam. It's good, it's edifying, and it's encouraging. And together we assent to the truth of God's word. And I'm not saying do what I do. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying you have to hold your hands up. I'm not saying that. But what I am doing, what I am doing is I'm encouraging you. If it's right and if it's appropriate to respond physically. Because it is good for you. And it's really encouraging to others. And the point of when we gather here is to also build one another up. We don't come here to consume build each other up maybe that's a motivation for us in how we respond to God's word in song folks it's a privilege to be a part of God's people as we gather let me just be clear we didn't invent this we read it here don't we in the old testament Jews would have gathered to hear from God in the synagogues the temples the festival days the villages all around in the new testament what we read is the church gathers under the proclamation of God's word that's what they did for the past 2,000 years, God's people have been gathering under the proclamation of God's word. Gathering together to hear God's word. It's a grace given by God. More than that, folks, it's a commandment that God gives us for his people to gather. Why? Because it's good for us. It's good for us. So in joyful obedience, that's good for us. That's what we do. We come and gather. Can I, can I say this? Please don't make this an option. Don't make this an option just depending upon how we feel in the morning. We have put it online over COVID to help people who just couldn't get here. And we put it on there for that reason, but it's not the same thing. Folks, just ask those who actually really are unable to make it. They would desperately want to be here. They would much rather be here. This gathering, it's good for me, it's good for you, and it's how God transforms, shapes, and grows his people. And the second means of grace we have, 
that God gives us is communion. See, communion here, it, it's central at the front. We put it there for a reason. And what we do is we tangibly take real bread and, and wine or the juice. And these are reminders of Jesus' body, which was broken because of our sin. And his blood that was poured out in sacrificial death for us. And we do communion. We don't go into isolated places to do communion. We don't do it on our own. We do it together as a family. It's a family meal, a family gathering. It's not an isolation. And what are we doing? Well, like Israel, we are telling and we are retelling the story of redemption. We, we're telling our story every time we take communion. We're getting an understanding of who we are. Because of Jesus Christ's work, his, his death and his resurrection, we are a new people. If you believe in Jesus, you're a new person. We're a new people gathered here. We were slaves to sin. We're now forgiven. That guilt is gone. The shame is gone. We are free. And more than that, we're not just freed slaves, but we're children of the living God. That's who we are. Who am I? We sang, I'm a child of God. That's true. God, he came amongst us. He tabernacled. He boothed amongst us. And now by his Holy Spirit, he lives within us. This is a time to reflect. See, as we hold and as we touch, as we pass it along, even the act of passing it along to the people next to us, don't just think that's just something we do to get. No, there's, a, there's actually a good thing about passing it along. We're sharing this together. We, we taste it. We ingest this bread and this wine. We reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us, for all of us here who believe. And we need to remember that there's a, there's a movement here that is actually a process that is involved in communion. Just imagine if it was a train journey. Okay, we're, we're heading somewhere on this train journey. And we repent and we, we confess. And that can do sometimes bring, bring feelings of guilt or shame. We are not to stop. Or we're not to indulge ourselves there. Or we're not to turn back there. I think sometimes that what we can do is we can make those feelings of guilt and shame the, the destination, the stopping point. And we can sit in feelings of guilt and shame, in a bit of despair or depression or anxiety or fear, or sometimes it can move over into anger. But that's not what God calls us to. That's not the destination that we are heading towards. The destination is Jesus. And the joy and the freedom of forgiveness that he achieved for us. See, folks, the, tra the train doesn't stop at guilt and shame. But what does happen on this moving train is the doors are open wide for us to throw them out, to actually realize that the guilt and the shame is gone. And we can leave them because Jesus Christ has dealt with them. He died, he rose again. Have you got off the train at this stop when you shouldn't have? Is that somewhere that you're stuck on in your walk? Sitting in despair on the platform? Folks, Jesus Christ died and rose again, so you don't have to. The doors are open. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. The destination is Jesus. He is our freedom and our forgiveness. He's taken the guilt. It's gone as far as, the Bible tells us, the east is from the west. Jesus has covered our shame. We're free, adopted. We are pure. We are image-bearing children of God. We are new creatures. We have a new identity. God is with us. He's with you now and he'll always be with you. We have a glorious future with him for all eternity and nothing can take that from us because God protects that. 
God gives that. And the destination, folks, is joy in his presence forever. Yes, in the future, but also now. Also now. We have joy in our relationship with God, which is never removed. Why? I said before, joy comes from our relationship with God. And God will always be with us. And it's a joy that God gives us, which gives us strength to face each and every situation. It's a joy that can loosen our grip on the things of this world and help us to see everything as gifts from God. It's a joy that fuels generosity and sharing amongst God's people. As we gather today around this feast, we see it's a joy to be shared. Folks, we've been put in a family. We've been put amongst the people of God. Like the people back in Israel's day were put amongst them and will have watched the other people do in the booths. People they were close to and loved to. We too have been put in a family of God. We can look around and see the story of redemption being worked out in the lives of the people around us, all around us. You know, we just look around at the faces. You know the stories of the people here. You know the grace of the people here. If you were here last week when you heard Miles and Luke just listening to those stories of God's graciousness towards his people, it just thrills our hearts to go, wow. That's not in isolation. That's all of our story. God's story of redemption in our life. And we can look across as we hear this, we share this together. As God's word is being opened today and God is amongst us, he's doing a work on every single heart here, even if you don't realize it right now. And he's working as we pray. He's working as we sing. He's working as we take communion. And so we can rejoice because of God's grace in our brothers' and sisters' lives. And what an opportunity now, here, today, to do this and to engage rightly. As we take this, to gather, to, to look around you, the brothers and sisters around hopefully and prayerfully hearing God's word explained, to seek God's help to live This is empowering for us to go from this moment, to take communion together. Just take a moment, even now, looking around. These are people you love. Cornerstone Church, Liverpool, there are people here you know you love, you walk next. Just look around. How are you going to pray for them as you take this communion? What are you going to pray for? To sing together and encourage each other with these amazing, amazing truths as we sing. To go from this place strengthened. How do we go from this place strengthened? Well, strengthened in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What a gracious God. So folks, we're going to move straight into this now. So what I'd like of the Connect team, if you could come up, if you could start giving out the bread and the wine, can I ask you to hold on to it, folks, please, today? Hold on to your bread, hold on to your wine, because I want us to do this together. I actually want to read some of you verses before we take it together. And can I ask as this goes round, please, think about every part that we are taking part in. As you pass it to the person next to you, pray for them. You know them, you love them, pray for them. Hold this bread in your hand, tangible. You can touch it. You're going to taste it in a moment. This juice and this wine, you're going to drink it in a moment. Remember what it's for. Remember what it displays. Remember what it's given for. Jesus died for you. His blood was poured out for you. So hold it. Pray, pray for the people around you. Watch as other people hold it too. See them as they pass this along between family members as we share this 
joyful feast. And as we hold this, I'm going to read. It's a passage taken from Isaiah 53. And as you hold this bread and this wine, hear these words. Pray for God's help to believe them. Surely, He, that is Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What that means, folks, is all of your sin, everything that you've ever done wrong, if you believe in Jesus, everything that you've ever thought wrong, everything that you've ever said wrong, everything that you've ever desired, the things that no one else knows, the things that go on deep down in your heart, the things in the past that you don't want to remember, the things that have, you have done or been done to you, all of these things you need to realize when you look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken every single one of those upon himself. Every single one. Every single one every single one of those upon himself your sin has been taken by Jesus and he died for it he died and he rose again three days later Jesus Christ crying it is finished on the cross God the Father declaring when Jesus Christ rose from the dead it is finished it's gone your sin is gone. Put those words up, please. This is from Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe this? In fact, can we say this together? Can we repeat this together? And can I ask you folks, please, can we say this loud? Because I want the people around you to hear your voice as you say this, to encourage one another. There is therefore now no condemnation those who are in Christ Jesus no condemnation no condemnation it's not going to come down the track it's not going to come when you die it's not going to come at some other stage of your life it's gone it's gone no condemnation you're free 
You're a child of God, adopted, loved, forgiven, and free. So take this. Take this bread, enjoy. Take this juice, this wine, enjoy with a thankful heart. And let's do that now together. And that is an incredibly appropriate way for us to respond to what we have just heard. Incredibly appropriate. And it's joy. We are free people with the the only hope for humanity. We know it. So let's sing. Let's stand. And let's celebrate with a joy in our hearts because of what Jesus Christ has done for us.